live your life, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Yeah, rear naked choke of Cocker Spaniel, bro. You know what I'm saying? Change the neighborhood up. Conspiracy Farm. Go. Check it out. And we've got a really, really cool guest today. Very, very interesting cat. And Jeff, you know, real quick, you know, we talk about this asymmetrical self-defense, this mindset for modern man. And food is certainly one of the very ever-present um, items that we must secure and must have uh, to remain independent and free. And so the guests that we're going to have on today, and you've talked about this a lot. You've probably talked about it even more than I have in the past, but... Uh, you know, it's going to be a fun episode nonetheless, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. His work is absolutely, like he was saying beforehand, you know, half tongue in cheek. It's, it's game changing. It's going to change the world. The permaculture and like what we talked about trying to get self-sufficient, building communities that are self-sufficient. Because, you know, without all of the other things, you can have as many, you know, storable food or whatever you want. Your health is really the foundation of it all. If you're not around, if you're not healthy enough to be around, none of it else matters. You can't enjoy your freedoms and your family, et cetera. But it starts with the food, the soil, the air, the water, and we're going to get into it today. Yes, we are. And so but this, the coolest thing is is knowing that our guest is a former national champion wrestler, which automatically you're going to you got to like the guy. He's got great work ethic. You got four-time All-American to boot, uh, freestyle Greco Minnesota State wrestling champion to be versatile in folk style freestyle and Greco. That's a trifecta not many can say that they've been able to do and you know, a guy that's successful in the real estate world. His company had I believe profits of about 1.5 billion with a B dollars. So very successful guy. And about a decade and a half or so ago, went full force into the permaculture world and teaching people how to grow food for us. And, and his website is foodforestabundance.com. Jim Gale, thank you for jumping on with us, buddy. Well, it's an honor to be here, Pat and Jeff. And I'm just, I'm very thankful to be sharing this message of freedom with as many people as I possibly can. And this message is so freaking real. What I'm going to share today is not a hypothetical solution to all of the world's biggest problems. It's a demonstrable solution to all of the world's biggest problems. And I'm talking about mass extinction and deforestation and cancer and diabetes and heart disease and hunger and tyranny. This solves it all. It does. So tell us your transition from that from that world of business and real estate and everything like that, you you made a ton of money and you just kind of decided to check out for a while, right? I did. I was in the mortgage industry and I loved it at the beginning because my goal was to make money because I was broke. <laughs> I got done traveling the world. I lived in Africa with the Maasai and a bunch of different places and I needed to make some money. I was 29 going on 30. And it was time for something new in my life. Previous to that, I was a, um, a bar manager in, on Maui, Hawaii for four years. And previous to that, I was a college wrestler. <laughs> so I wrote my goals. And that's so important, as you both know, to create an inspired vision of yourself in the future. And then to work yourself into that vision, the goals were the foundation of my success. And I know for sure Napoleon Hill was right when he said, Whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. 
That's a powerful statement, and I believed that statement, so I said, I have no limits. And so that was, you know, a long time ago, a past life. I got done with the mortgage industry because I started to really feel that this is not the type of industry that I wanted to live in. Um, so I then found permaculture, and that's when my whole world just turned upside down for a while because – the first thing I found was the problems. Permaculture is about solutions, but it helped to expose the problems on such a core level that I've been obsessed with it ever since. So, Jim, who were your mentors in the permaculture world? Who were the guys that came before you and, and gave you, kind of handed the mantle over to you? Oh, the giants, the people. I think Bill Mollison and David Holmgren will be known in the history books of our world, in fact, I'm getting emotional, um, they will be known as the people who created the kind of the business model. The model, business is, is like so small compared to what permaculture is. And business is, by the way, part of permaculture, right? The voluntary exchange and the ethical exchange of value is the foundation of permaculture. It's ethical. So Bill Mollis and David Holmgren and then all of the permaculturists around the world, I've watched thousands of hours from all these amazing people who have proven these solutions. It's so very interesting. Uh, anytime I've noticed you, Jim, you've mentioned the name Bill Mollison, it chokes you up, especially the quote, the problems of the world are increasingly complex. The solutions remain embarrassingly simple. And each time I've heard you mention him in that quote, you know, you have to take a second, catch your breath, because obviously he has seriously impacted you and the direction of your life. Oh, my God. His stories. If you're ever bored on a Sunday afternoon or something and you're looking for some wisdom and some inspiration, watch Bill Molson's Trump story or his whale story or any of his lectures. He's got a way of speaking that is so direct and so engaging and also full of of wisdom. Now explain explain the concept of permaculture and you know because it is such an amazing world and people think about gardens and, and things. I've I've gardened since I was I'm thinking probably twelve years old I had a garden out, out in my mom's backyard and I used, you know, all the dog shit. We had four dogs and I fertilized it with dog poop and you know all that sort of stuff and grew tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and everything else. And so I've been into the gardening thing, but I wasn't you know, familiar with the permaculture world until the last few years when, when a lot of it has exploded, of course, because of things going on in the world. Yes. Uh, permaculture originally stood for permanent agriculture, and, and now it's really permanent culture as a holistic way of looking at how our culture is existing. The path that we have been on by design, right, when Henry Kissinger 50-some years ago said, if you want to control nations, control oil, if you want to control people, control food. If you want to control the world, control the world's currency. That wasn't just the ramblings of a madman. Because who would talk about controlling the world? A, a James Bond freaking villain? That was the guy who met with every U.S. president and who appointed Carl Schwab. So this is a strategy that has been implemented on the people of the world. And, of course, it goes back to the Rockefellers and the difference between allopathic and homeopathic medicine. And at the end of the day, the, everything that we're witnessing right now in our world, all these monocultures and the centralization of the most basic thing that we need decentralized, and that's food, is by design. 
So in permaculture, we turn the problem into the solution. The problem is centralized poisonous food. The solution is decentralized poison-free food. And, the, and really, ultimately, when we look at it, World War III that's been raging for quite some time, longer than three years, of course, but now, you know, everybody's heightened sense of awareness because of, you know, they're turning up the volume on everything. The war literally is taking place at the, at, at the soil, at the dirt. That's where the war is taking place. The most destructive part of this war is on our soil. The soil is the immune system of the earth. It's the foundation of health and wellness of our of everything that we hold dear. And yes, they've been poisoning it and mining it and using monocultures in such a way where, well, it's radically unsustainable and all unsustainable systems fail. And yet, this is what's so amazing is a perennial edible landscape takes less maintenance than a lawn and will provide an absolutely epic amount of food. So now tell us, you were just, you just uh, sent us a, a video not that long ago of doing a permaculture farm, a food forest, at a school. So talk about that. And that's something that should be happening at every school across the country, in my mind. It sure is. And we make it so logical because right now a school looks at a school garden as a liability from a cash flow point of view. And they look at it as a good educational tool. But other than that, it's kind of a, a, a liability. We turn that thought process, we turn these food forests into assets. So we just installed for the Creative Inspiration Journey School in St. Cloud, Florida, a, a fantastic perennial food forest. Now, this is important because when people think about growing food, they say, I don't want to be a farmer. Growing food is hard. I have a black thumb. I have a brown thumb. All sorts of layers of BS, belief systems, bad science, and bullshit about what it truly means to live in a perennial edible landscape. So we design using the permaculture principles, and we install perennials, which are plants that you plant once. And they will provide for generations, even thousands of years. There are olive trees on the Greek Isle of Crete that have been providing olives to that community for over 2,000 years. So the difference between an annual and a perennial is something that will help everybody see how easy this is for them. If we only took out our ornamentals and our ornamental trees and bushes in our yard and the poisons and replaced those with food-producing trees and bushes, if that's the only thing we did, we would radically change the world. Yeah, I was going to ask you to differentiate between annuals and perennials. I mean, most people do know, but I think as it relates to permaculture, it's important to understand that difference. And if you can't speak to, and you you mentioned this, the importance of the design of the food farm and have it most, um, and have it mimic nature the best way possible for success, basically. You nailed it, Jeff. So um, permaculture starts with mimicking natural systems, observing what is thriving in a natural system, and then modeling after that and finding how to create the type of plant combinations. They're called guilds. A guild is a community of plants that support each other. And when you put a proper guild in place, like um, on, the, on, the, on the ground level, you've got comfrey 
and perennial peanut, and maybe you've got some pigeon pea and some mimosa. And those plants actually create nutrients and nitrogen for the soil. And then they also cover the soil. And then above that, you've got maybe a shorter raspberry bush or blackberry or blueberry. And then you've got maybe a shorter fruit tree. And then maybe you've got an overstory canopy fruit tree all in one area. And maybe you've even got some sweet potatoes, turmeric or ginger or taro or yucca on the base of that. And now in one area the size of one fruit tree, you've got a dozen plants providing food and habitat for whatever season that you have. In Minnesota and North Dakota, it might be six months of the year. Here in Florida, of course, it's 12. Now, also on top of this, you want to be completely sustainable. You want to be able to have potentially wind power, wind to drive your well water up, solar power, you know, water storage, a lot of other things. Is this something that you guys also incorporate into your designs when you meet with a homeowner or a farm owner or somebody similar to that? Absolutely, Pat. In fact, we learn in in permaculture, you're constantly observing and interacting and making small changes and adapting to the environment. So when I started this, I started making fancy greenhouses and I started, um, I was off track, but I knew that I would get on track eventually. And when I finally let go of all the fancy shit and just started modeling permaculture, which is building soil, by the way. Right. I love the idea in certain circumstances of hydroponics, but in most circumstances, they're not the best return on the money. I love the idea of growing food on your roof in one out of 10 circumstances, but it's building soil and putting the food in the soil. That is the ultimate ROI on every single level. It's the natural way. And one more thing about the educational piece. So, and, and what you just said is after the years of ex, like really being obsessed with the question, how do we catalyze a shift in awareness that leads to mass adoption of this logical and beneficial thing? Um, and I, I really have been obsessed about that for 15 years. More recently, I've, tra- I've transitioned to joyful obsession, which was a big difference because it, it got rid of the scarcity and now it's just pure fun. So we've taken all of the elements of what we call freedom and we've put them all into a Freedom Farm Academy. Let's imagine an acre of land where you have all of the food, all of the water, all of the energy needs you need to thrive, not just survive. Permaculture is not about survival. It's about thrival. You've got all of the systems you need so you never have to leave your your property and you can thrive. And then we add in the the components of education and demonstration. And when we turn that homestead into a business model that helps the community also grow food, it's it's going global fast. So, yeah, talk about the global aspect of this, you know, all the different places around the world that you've gone, where these have popped up, where you have helped start these, you know, talk about the different areas of the world and, and the different types of food that you've got to put in, right? Yeah. You know, the different types of food will blow people's minds. Most people don't realize how many perennial edible plants there are. In fact, nobody has realized it until lately because what has happened is the permaculture network and the growers networks around the world have created databases where they share all of the different types of food that you can grow. I've got a buddy in northern Minnesota on the tip of Lake Superior 
who has eight or nine different types of kiwi growing in northern Minnesota. So it's so the types of food is a big deal to to stack the the layers of food in a food forest. And then um, what was the other question? I got so excited about the diversity of food. Well, just all the different locations around the yeah. world that you've yeah. that you've done this. Um, so we launched 18 months ago on the High Wire with Dell Big Tree. We're now we've served people in now 15 or 16 different countries and almost every U.S. state. We went from three people to about 1,300 people around the world, and we're just at the tip of the iceberg. We are now doing a Freedom Farm Academy in Ghana, another at least one, maybe two or three in South Africa. We're doing them in Thailand. Very soon it will be the Philippines and Australia, um, two or three in Canada, and then we're popping them up all over the United States. Yeah, you know, I I had that vision. I I emailed you of because I've lived in that homeowners association cul-de-sac life in America, you know, Americans all want their perfect green lawns and landscaping (laughs) and all this stuff. And it's always driven me nuts. And I was a guy that recognized early on, do I really want to spray these chemicals in my yard? Do I mean, I don't care if I have a dandelion in my yard or a thousand of them. They're actually beneficial. But, you know, I'm living with, you know, around doctors, lawyers, John Deere executives. You know, of course, the John Deere executives are going to have a perfect lawn. But anyway, you know, there were emails that would go out constantly about taking care of your yard and keeping it upbeat. Look, it it was a a well-to-do neighborhood, but I just, the whole vibration of all of it, I just rejected completely. And that's the kind of neighborhood I would love to be able to go in and see you go in and go, you know what? Have a homeowners association and all the people that live in that neighborhood pay you to come in and design backyards for all of them where they're all growing you know, and they have beautiful, literally, it's a, it's a garden, a Garden of Eden in their backyard, instead of, instead of this just flat grass and, and a couple of trees. Yes, and we're demonstrating that model all over. At Galt's Landing, after John Galt from Atlas Shrugged, yeah. we are building a community on 52 acres. We have 10 home sites, an average of about 1.1 acres each. Every The whole place is a paradise. It's a Garden of Eden paradise. And every home site will have its own food, water, and energy needs met on site. And here's the beauty of it. It's infinitely more beautiful than these other landscapes. They might look good, but there's no life in these other landscapes. Our landscape, there's birds and butterflies and lightning bugs. And not only that, but at our HOA, since we don't use our land as a liability, we use it as an asset, we don't share expenses we share the abundance. It's a complete reversal of the crazy world we have today. Well, and it's really so crazy, Pat, as you mentioned, they're all over the country, these homeowners associations, where they literally double down on how awesomely manicured your lawn is. And I forget the, the statistics you had said, Jim, but lawns are literally these humongous wastes of space in this country, not only the space, but the amount of chemicals that go into it that then seep into other stuff, the surface waters, et cetera. It's so weird how counter – they would rather look good – and poison them, them actually, I mean, we'll, we'll see how receptive they can be to things what you're doing, but it's just weird that these homeowners associations are almost fining people or whatever it is for not having their lawn manicured and chemicaled up and everything like that. You know, they get way more receptive when they see a professional landscape design, because that's what we do. We design edible landscapes in a way that's functional relative to the customer, to the zone, and in some cases to the HOA. So we can literally put the same type of size of tree in a particular area where they want a certain size tree. 
The difference is it will produce food. The same with the bushes. The one thing that HOAs that we have to change, and if anybody listening is in an HOA and you see these little signs in the yard after they poison their freaking lawns, sometimes these signs around here, they're in the shape of a heart. They're a red heart. My daughter wants to go up and grab them because they look pretty. And on the thing, there's a circle with an X out through it that says, do not touch, no pets, no people, because this is poisonous. And we have to first become aware of that and stop that is number one. It's almost like the bottles of toothpaste. If you ingest any amount of this, contact the poison control center immediately. They're telling you it's poison, but it's great for your teeth. Something I wanted to ask you about the system and, and the, the effectiveness and creating the, the best scenario for it to succeed. You had mentioned about redundancy of certain systems and how redundancy equals resiliency as far as maintaining this permaculture. Yes. So in our um, golf landing, we currently have over 200 different uh, species of food. You, you name it, it's there probably. Apples and avocados and bananas and, and pears and peaches and raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and mulberries and elderberries. So diversity is the key to strength in a food forest. Monocrops are the key to destruction. That's when you have a monocrop, you have to bring in the inputs because it's unnatural. And in an unnatural system, you have to prop it up with fake shit. So in just in food source, the diversity becomes the strength and the resiliency of the system. And the same goes with energy, where you don't just want one type of energy system. We had Hurricane Nicole come in last week, and it ripped out one of our solar panels, right? But we have propane. We have fuel tanks. We have a little wind generator, which isn't so, so much, but it's something. And then we're building our houses to actually suit the environment. So we can plant deciduous trees on the south-facing side of our house. In the winter, they lose the leaves. The sun hits our house, and it heats our house. In the summer, they become shade. So it's infinite what can be done in the permaculture design process, which will mitigate the need for outside energies. You know, what I? it's been at least, I'm thinking, 15 years ago, I was driving through an area of a neighborhood that I lived in at the time. It was along John Deere Road there, Jeff, with John, you know, Deer Run and all of that sort of stuff over mm-hmm. there or whatever. Um, and I drove past a house and it had a fenced in backyard and there was nothing but gigantic palm leaves and it was a jungle. It was literally a jungle. And we're talking, this is Iowa. This is not supposed to happen in Iowa. And so I lit, I stopped and I went and I knocked on the guy's door. I said, I've never seen anything like this in Iowa. Can I look at your backyard? And he goes, absolutely, come on in. So he's got a pool back there, and it's literally a jungle. And he's got these massive pots with banana trees and all kinds of stuff growing in his backyard. And every fall, what he would do is he takes a machete, literally lops them off, and carts them into his basement and stores them in the winter. And then he would bring them back out in the spring, and they'd grow again. And he'd do that every single year. So it's it's pretty cool just people thinking out of the box like that, just like you, Jim, uh, that, you know, it's it's 2% of the population that are visionaries from what I'm told by a good friend of mine in the ag, ag industry, a very, very bright guy who looked at me one day and he said, 2% of the population are visionaries, about 12% are people that will go along with you right away, and then the rest of the population will drag their feet until they see you know, all of the change happening that you're, that you're doing. And that's, 
you know, you're obviously a visionary, so it's it's cool to to uh, just tap into some of your thoughts in your your brain. Well, thank you for exposing these thoughts to the world. This is how we change the world, and we're very strategic about it because we're at war, as you mentioned, and as a military strategy. What I am laying out, what we, what the permaculture world has laid out is the solution. So then let's start stacking the functions and adding the influence and the influencers and the different ways to integrate. Now, when we bring this to politics, when a politician, and I'm not a fan of government at all, anarchy is peace. I know that because people don't want to harm each other. So, but the system being what it is, the amount of energy that goes into politics is absolutely nuts. So if a politician would take our campaign strategy and run with it, they would win every ethical seat because our campaign strategy is about using the people's resources to actually create food abundance in every county, in every city, every state, every country that there's energy going in. Same with the church. Right? The church land all over the place. Does the church really want to create the Garden of Eden or do they want to control? Well, most pastors and parishioners want to create the Garden of Eden. They want to create abundance. So let's invite them in and let's use that church land to create radical abundance for their community. And of course, the same with the schools, the same with the corporations. Everywhere of the 44 million acres of lawn is an opportunity. We're sitting on the biggest opportunity in the history of humanity to create value and by creating value we get a yield well that's what i've always said the whole think globally act locally building these kind of communities is absolutely essential but as you alluded to sir you know the pharmaceutical industry the tech industry the ag industry has their fangs so deep into our system it seems very difficult to extrapolate oneself from it because they frown on our self-sufficiency what we're seeing now and what's coming whatever you want to call it agenda 21 the great reset we're going to be see re- restrictions on water food soil energy etc so it seems like they're going to be my larger question is have you received any resistance from Big pharma, big ag, if you will, because this potentially has, to me, like Pat's, what he's doing with soil, it sells itself. If you make the connection between what we food, what we eat, our food, and getting sick in the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry, you would think we would have nothing to do with that and be able to set up one of these permacultures as quickly as possible. You know, there is layers of belief systems that have been programmed into the minds of society using neurolinguistics and these tools to control, you know, governmente literally means mind control. Um, Gierta said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Yes. It took me a while to get that through my thick skull. When I finally realized that these taxes that we're paying, they're unconstitutional, they are slave taxes by the threat of force and violence. I have to pay an entity that I'm literally at war with when the solution to government is so simple. It's a free mind. It's enlightenment, not enlightenment where I can turn, you know, I can turn water into wine. No, not enlightenment that defies the laws of physics. No, simply a mind free of programming. That's all enlightenment is to me. That's not all. That's a big deal. Enlightenment is a free mind. With a free mind, which starts with faith and courage, by the way, this for me has been epically important. I had fear for many years when I saw what was going on in our world and I didn't know how to solve the problem. 
when I finally let go of the fear. I took a breath. I was walking. I remember the second it was like lightning struck where I said, I'm, and I was, I was at the end of my rope. I was done. I was so distraught because I had, I had went from zero to $20 million down to negative $80,000 in pursuit of this freaking idea whose time has come, right? Like Victor Hugo said, <laughs> there's one thing stronger than all of the armies of the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. It struck me like a freaking lightning bolt. The idea is enlightenment. It's a free mind. It's faith and courage. And then from there, the, the miraculous synchronicities that are coming every day, I'm in awe every single day. And then from there, it's how do we use our resources and our energy wisely? And then from there, we, we do permaculture. Now, you had to, I mean, there had to be many times that, and I'm sure it probably happens now and then today, where you literally felt like you were on an island, like nobody was listening. Nobody, I mean, that's the way I felt for years in a lot of things, that, and Jeff has felt the same way. You know, where we were talking about, hey, this is, this is what's coming. You might want to, you might want to pay attention. And over and over and over again, eventually they would reveal that what we were saying was true. And it was just, and Jeff and I have, of course, you know, the, the whole tinfoil hat thing and all of that, you know, all the people that are asleep saying those sort of things. But in my conversations with agronomists and horticulturalists and chemists and scientists and doctors, not being educated about organics and, and all the power that organics have and the power that our creator gave us through everything that, that exists on this planet, you, I find myself many times going, am I the only one seeing this at times? You know, so you had to be going nuts at times trying to, trying to get people to see, you know, the problem. And that I was going nuts. So I was the guy for 13 years. Well, for the first five, six, seven years, I was the guy that said, Jim, we would love to have you at our party, but do us a favor and don't talk about Building 7. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And then I'd have two drinks and I'd be talking about Building 7. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so, I mean, but the thing is, is I remember being told by my ex-wife saying, hey, you know, yeah, it's a problem. We see these problems, but... You really shouldn't dwell on it so much. I go, what's more important than my children's health and freedom? Why wouldn't I dwell on it? Why wouldn't I tell people, are you actually going to stand up for your kids? Are you going to do, are you going to do it? Go to the school board meeting maybe and say, hey, no, actually we're not going to listen to you and our children are not going to be forced to do this. But there's so many people that are so afraid or just asleep altogether that they just don't, they either don't see it or they're afraid to act. And I tell you what, it's, it's, that's one part that's troubling for me. It has been massively troubling for me um, until, sorry. Sorry, am I back? Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. That, that was my biggest trouble was I've got four daughters. And when I learned of what was going on and who was behind it and the degradation of our natural systems, I went through basically 13, it was 15 years ago, and 13 years were pretty much a little bit obsessed in, in scarcity because I didn't see a path. When I finally realized that I'm not, I, it's not just me that's spirit, it's there's everybody's spirit. We're all part of a bigger thing, a bigger frequency, a bigger thing. Some people call God or source, nature. Um, I, I like to use the word God because that's how I was growing up, or raised. And so... 
when I look at what is going on, they are my biggest motivation. My when I when I when I'm bored for a second, which I'm very rarely bored, but if I don't know what to do next, <clears throat> I picture my daughters and I picture them. I sit and I meditate and I imagine my daughters, my granddaughters, maybe my great grandkids all around Galt's Landing where I'm building my kin's domain, my homestead, and it's paradise. There's birds and butterflies and animals, and it's just complete food, abundance, love, joy everywhere. I'm 102 years old, and I'm still doing backflips on the trampoline. (laughs) (laughs) Like That's my vision. And then ideas come because, you know, all of the wisdom is in the gap between the thoughts, right? That's what, when, when Einstein said, um, you know, wisdom is, or imagination is more important than knowledge. For knowledge tells us what is, imagination tells us what will be. That's what I visualize every day. And then I open my mind, and then all of a sudden a new idea will come that will just blow my mind. And then inspired action is the result of that idea. Yeah, that's and the thing. Go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you might have just answered this, but you had mentioned in some of your videos I watched how all of this process allows you to be and it helps facilitate your connection to and feeling connected to source, to whatever you want to call it. And just, you know, talked about that. If you, I mean, you kind of just answered that, but this, this work keeping you connected to source. Uh, so to, this is one of the most powerful things for my personal life is the the Tesla quote, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And I'm going to change one word. I think I think this might have been man, manipulated, this quote. Don't think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Experience in terms of energy. Feel in terms of frequency and vibration. So when I meditate, which is many, many hundreds of times a day, to me, meditation is just taking two two conscious breaths and whatever I'm doing now I'm in the moment and then that's then I can feel like right now I did that and I can feel this incredible frequency this vibration this buzz and and that's where I spend as much time as as I'm able to now it's a lot more than I was two years ago and in two years from now it'll be a lot more still it's a process it's a fun joyful process you know in terms of envisioning the future so you had to go through a process where you had to envision that you were going to make a bunch of money in real estate. You had to then go out and do it and match that vision, right, with effort, energy, and commitment. And then you got to a point where, okay, I'm done. I'm good. I'm going to take some time off. And then you had to reinvent yourself and see a new future for yourself and yourself standing in the middle of a food forest that you just completed for someone or for yourself or whatever. And that's the thing that, you know, that – that same thing at that process where I can relate to that. Jeff had to, you know, envision himself as being a great actor and doing voiceover and all those. And now he's doing it, right? So that's, you have to first conceptualize it in your brain. But the, the fight, the process of going through, you know, the mixed martial arts world that I did where I had to, te- you know, I'm debating politicians on television and they, they came into it completely unprepared and it was easy to make them look stupid. And, but I had to envision that, you know, I was eventually going to be a world champion and create world champions and all those sort of things. And then now everything's totally different because I think back to my great uncle who was on the 32 Olympic boxing team. He was number one uh, light heavyweight boxer in the world back during the depression. And when in his older years, I always saw him in his flower garden and his vegetable garden. And that's where he spent all of his time, right? 
he spent all that time in struggle and violence and, and all of that sort of world. And that, it literally was an, the exact same process for me where all I wanted when I was done fighting was to be out in the country, to have gardens, to have wildflowers all around me, things like that. So it's the same process, and that's that's everything that, that I dream of. Yeah. Oh, isn't that beautiful? I mean, yeah. to walk outside and just be in in touch with, literally in communion with nature, and to be a steward and a guide for these natural systems, and then to design it in a way where, you know, like I've never grown a tree. I don't grow, I don't grow anything. I provided a home in a well-architected way, and then they thrive. If you give a plant a good home, it will provide for you and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. You know, my favorite new quote is you can count the seeds in an apple, but you not you cannot count the apples in a single seed. It's infinite mm. abundance. Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah. I had a question. So say you come to my backyard, you drop my permaculture stuff off, boom, day one. How long does it take to is it a different degree of how much it flourishes at different time frames? When is it like all fully flourishing up and running, or is it a kind of Yeah, thing the step by step process I think is what you yeah. Awesome. Like, well, yeah. not, not only just the process of doing it, but how long until it's like, all right, I have a flourishing permaculture back here. I don't have to touch anything. I can just eat. All right. Great question. So it starts with design. The first thing that uh, the permaculture world and we do is we design the system to to function. And then we start looking locally for the plants that will serve that system. And we will combine perennials and annuals this is very important now especially now because the short-term food supply if people don't know this it's done it's freaking done and this is a need as well as a benefit and a gift from god right so um we stack in annuals and perennials annuals can produce fairly fast some 30 days mostly 60 to 90 to 120 days you can have a lot of potatoes and a lot of tomatoes and cucumbers and squash and pumpkins and so on. And then while the annuals are going up the first couple of years, the perennials are starting to flourish. Now, if you start an avocado from seed, it's going to take you a good six or seven years before you get a full avocado tree. But if you start with a grafted avocado, avocado that's maybe 150 bucks at the nursery and it's maybe six feet tall with two fruit on it, if you add the proper home for that, the nitrogen fixers and maybe some um, worm castings and some compost tea, now within two years, you've got a flourishing avocado tree. And so you're looking at a food forest that year one, it's a skinny little twig. <laughs> and then year two, it's three or four times as big. By year three and four, now you've got massive abundance. It's a process, ladies and gentlemen. It takes time. It's not a microwave. You can put it in for a minute and it's, you know, here you go. You, uh, you had an opportunity. It was one of your projects or a project you worked on Land of Plenty with, uh, Adrian Grenet, who, uh, was one of the stars of Entourage. And I remember several years ago, he had said, I'm, I'm leaving Hollywood, gonna get a little chunk of land and start living off the land. And looks like he's been pretty, pretty successful at it. What's that whole experience? What was that experience like? It was miraculous. So I was on the high wire with Dell. That was an interesting story. Amazing, really. I was at the end of my rope, and I wrote him a letter. And I went to see him in Sanford, Florida at a speaking event. 
And I said, I walked up to him, the most gracious guy. I, I said, hey, I wrote this speech, and he read it, and he said, Jim, we got to talk. <laughs> and then um, he, he did the filming, went to his place, and then um, the producer. Now, I'm not a TV guy, but I have had my favorite throws shows throughout history. One of my favorite shows was The Crocodile Hunter with Steve Irwin. When Steve mm. died, I literally cried. <laughs> and so the producer of my favorite TV show for 15 years of my life calls me up and says, Jim, we would like to do a show featuring you and your vision for society, kind of like we did for Steve Irwin when he just had a tiny little a little alligator farm or whatever, a crocodile farm, right? And so I'm like, I got the chills. I said, yes. Two days later, I get a call. Adrian, entourage, for my like young and to mid-30s, it was the, my favorite show in the world. So the actor from my, the main star from my favorite show and the main producer from my other favorite show called me within 48 hours of each other. And we did a show called The Land of Plenty. And thanks to Frazier for that title. He, it just came to an, him in an inspiration one day. And we've done the first show. A major network has offered me a contract right off the bat. I turned them down because of their morality clause. I will not sell poisons on any TV show. So it's been a little tough getting into the main networks, although things are starting to transition. People are starting to be more open about what's going on. So I don't think it'll be long before it'll be picked up maybe by Amazon or Netflix or maybe by one of these other typically horrible networks that are all about control and programming. You know, you may, you may want to look into some of the pay channels. You know, the subscription-based channels where they're not running any commercials at all. You know, that, that might be a good option. And the only reason I say that is because I actually sold a show uh, on one of those channels you know, many, many years ago. And it never it never did make it to air because the co-host or the star of a show that they were going to co-brand with got terminal cancer. But anyway, that's where I – and you're going to get a lot more money per episode that way as well. Well, let's do it. I don't know anything about TV and this kind of stuff. I'm a – you know, a businessman and a farmer, but I I love collaborating with people. Um, so I'd love to get some thoughts on that after the after the talk. For sure. We well, know everything that. that you're doing. I mean, you you deserve to be out there getting your getting the word out to a lot of people, and that that's the the most important thing is is magnifying and duplicating ourselves, right? Yes. Oh, can I share something about that? Yeah. So the Freedom Farm Academy is an education and demonstration site for all things freedom. We're going to add a school. We're going to add a class. And I did this to serve my family. I've got four daughters, and I wanted them to be in the school at my community instead of one of these indoctrination camps. So we, I, I started putting it out to the universe just a few weeks ago. And I'm sitting at a bonfire on Saturday, and this lady shows up. There's only like six of us there. And she shows up and she goes, I've got a curriculum about um, like um, freedom. It's a it's a school curriculum that involves all the grades where it can be a single classroom. And I'm thinking this is insane. I, I literally had the chills. And since then, we have developed, which is it's a super simple model that anybody can take. If you want to take this model, run with it. Anything I'm talking about, you know, just take it, run with it. Better yet, let's collaborate. But however you want to do it. But. I said, would you like to work for us? We will find 25 students in this area. Every student will pay maybe $750 a month. Um, whatever the going rate is, we'll have two teachers, a primary and an assistant. 
the kid's primary objective is going to be to create self-reliance for themselves, their families, and their communities. So the, for two to three hours a day, the kids will be working in the community, helping the community grow food as part of the curriculum. And imagine, so a parent is paying $750 a month for their kids to go to the school, and the kids' school is providing all of the food the family needs. You know, this, that's the thing, one thing I want to say. You have four daughters because you were a wrestler, and that's the Dan Gable Curtis here in Iowa. I had three daughters, and that's every wrestler across the board for the most part always has, has daughters. But the, that concept of, again, back to school. So the state of Kentucky is trying to figure out a way to grow their own food for their public school systems. And this is how you do it. And I think, you know, every mayor across the country needs to be made aware of this. You know, you need to be speaking at, you know, conventions of, you know, where the mayors gather, right, in Washington, D.C., and, and the governors and things like that, and going, this is what needs to happen. This absolutely has to happen. And the switch uh, of consciousness for citizens has to force this. And by what we buy and what we don't buy will dictate what these people are able to make a living at, right? And so that's where we have to educate people in mass as quickly as possible to just say, okay, that whole section of the middle of the store, that doesn't, you don't buy that. You don't, you don't buy that anymore. There's some meat back there. There's, you know, some veggies and fruit over here. That's what you buy. And then everything, everything else goes away. Yep. Absolutely. And if you are broke and you want to start your own garden, go to the store and go to the organic section and buy tomatoes and cucumbers and squash and pumpkins and apples and whatever you want to propagate. Then take the seeds out. You still eat the plant. You eat the food. So you didn't spend another nickel. You still ate the food. Now you took the seeds out, and now you can start your own farm inside your house with the right lighting and airflow or outside your house on just by resourcefulness without having to have an extra dollar. So this is not for rich people. This is for everybody. Yeah, and the, the seed, the seed uh, saving the seeds, putting, putting them, you suggest putting them out on newspaper or paper towels to let them dry out and then bagging them up in Ziploc baggies after they're dry and label them what they are and when you when you put them away, all that sort of stuff. And uh, that's probably the best way to do it, isn't it? Absolutely. And in YouTube or social media, it's all there. If you want to learn how do I propagate tomatoes in Minnesota or in winter, boom, type it in, and it's probably exactly there. So you just follow the two-minute to ten-minute video, and you're growing food tomorrow. Yeah. And well, Go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, man, talking about serendipity and you getting a phone call from your favorite producer and then a per certain person over here, we have these different moments in time that are so, so very serendipitous. And I'm having to say I'm biased and I've obviously got much love for you, brother. But, Pat, I mean, between you two, what you guys are talking about now at this phase of your life, this moment, everything happens for an absolute reason. Pat, what you're doing, changing the game on getting people's word out about soil and Jim, what you're doing about permaculture and growing good food. This is the tag team champs, future tag team champs right here. We we are definitely going to talk offline about possibly getting something. We have some contacts out in LA, some show producers, showrunners, et cetera. But uh, this was not an accident. That this, I don't know how well you guys know each other or how much you guys have talked before, but you guys are at a point in your life where you guys could definitely complement each other right now. Oh, God. In fact, Pat, can you share, because the soil, we are so excited to share the world with the world, the soil that you have brought to me. Can you detail that? Yeah, the humic fulvic acid, it's, you know, yeah, again, it's 
the most nutrient-rich substance that I've ever found in 35 years, and it brings soil back to life. You only need an eighth to a quarter of a pound of it injected into the soil with water, and it, it starts breaking the soil down and converting it to 60,000-year-old nutrient-rich, microbe-rich soil, and, and it's it's done incredible things across the board for livestock, for soil, for crops, for gardens. It's 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 truly been an amazing journey, and again, it's that running into brick walls over and over. I've got a pretty thick forehead, so I can smash through them. But the the world and the way everybody's been educated in these agriculture departments and a lot of other places, where they're going, okay, I've had people say to me, "Are you a are you an agronomist?" And I go, "No, <laughs> I got punched in the face for a living." Um, but I've just learned a few things over the years, and it all makes sense once you learn human health and how we tick and why organics work with us and how we are identical to the soil and all of that. And so, yeah, it all goes together. And the more nutrient-rich the food, the more nutrient-rich the the plants, the more resistant they are to bugs wanting to eat them, to weeds wanting to take them over, to even frost. I had a buddy who just sent me a message on Facebook. He commented on one of my – I posted a a picture of a tomato picked six weeks ago, and it's still in pristine condition sitting on the counter. It wasn't refrigerated. No – no pesticides, no fungicides, no herbicides, no nothing, and just the humic fulvic acid used, all those nutrient-rich, uh, that nutrient-rich substance, and the tomato's in perfect condition, and I took a picture of it before I ate it because it's six weeks old, a month and a half been sitting there, and my buddy who lives 7,500 feet up in the mountains in the New Mexico, uh, down in southern New Mexico, says, dude, it's been 20 degrees every night here for quite a while now, and my garden isn't even phased because of your product. So that's how that's how tough these plants become when they have true organic nutrients in them. Like they're bulletproof. It's so it's I'm excited, man. Just throw this stuff all over the permaculture as you're building the food, the food forest. Yes, oh, I'm so excited, Pat, <laughs> about this product. So our Freedom Farm Academies, they're basically they're retail centers to demonstrate and to sell everything related to abundance and freedom. So your product is going to be at every one of our Freedom Farm Academies uh, to wherever they can be delivered, right? Maybe not in Ghana, but everywhere in the United States and Canada, that's for sure. Right. So now when, when you you look at the old TV shows of, you know, uh, where they do a home makeover, right? And they put, the, they put the RV in front of the people and then they move the RV and they see the new house and all that sort of stuff. I mean, this is the concept you would love to be able to do in neighborhoods all across America, right? There's 44 million acres of lawn in the United States alone. That is the opportunity to transition half of that lawn, right? Half. Some lawn is valuable. My wife wants a little bit of lawn. I'm like, great. But when we take half of that and put it, turn it to perennial edible landscapes, everywhere is an opportunity. And it's maximum benefit. One fruit tree in the ground is going to double in value just based on the size of the fruit tree within 12 months. So now you start looking at the return on investment about the fruit that it produces. And now you're talking about literally infinite returns. So, yes. So do you play golf at all, Jim? Yes. Okay, so half, 22 million acres can be permaculture. The other 22 million can be putting greens. Oh. <laughs> can you imagine walking through a golf course where there's food growing everywhere? The amount of life, you, you, you hit a ball off into the woods, which is about half of my shots, and I go in and I come out with a handful of food, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. That's, that's everything, you know, that I want to see in public parks 
uh, school grounds all over the place. I mean, that's, that's the way it should be. Absolutely. So, uh, before we let you go, talk a little bit more about food forest abundance and people that you've partnered with maybe in terms of are there, are there, you know, nurseries or, or groups that have jumped on board with you yet? Or is that a, something that you're looking at uh, doing here in the near future? Yeah, there's so many people I want to say thank you to. Uh, John Nolan from the Inspired Channel and Sam Tripoli and Greg Carlwood. Oh, my gosh. I There's just uh, uh, so many wonderful people who have seen this vision, and they're helping to spread the word. Um, the um, some We're also adding the healing uh, several healing modalities to the Freedom Farm Academy because we have a few rental homes that are going to be part of our Freedom Farm Academy. They can come in and without any doctors needed or any nurses or anything, they can use the analemma water. Analemma water is a water structuring device that has had a lot of peer-reviewed studies and not funded by any of the corporations, but like real studies that how that benefits the water. And the Brown's gas, George Wiseman's Brown's gas, we're going to add that. We're going to add some version of the MedBed technology, although I don't know enough about it to say what. But so we're going to add all of these things in. And um, and yeah, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. And so the structured water changes the molecular structure of the water so that the water is more easily absorbed by plants, animals, humans, everything, right? Yes. Yes. And now the studies that about how it lets light uh, particles into the soil like, I don't even know what that means, but the results of what that means are that the food, the plants are going to grow more nutrient-dense and faster. So when we add your technology um, to and this and several other things we're adding, holy cow, I just, I'm excited. Beautiful. So is there anything else? How can people follow you on social media, number one? So we've got the Jim Gale Show, which you'll be on here soon, buddy. Yes, sir. Right? And then we've got uh, Food Forest Abundance. We've got all sorts of social media going. We're um, moving away from the um, controlled platforms. In fact, uh, I was just on with Sayer G this weekend. He's a fantastic human being. And um, he's got Unite.Live. And that's going to be kind of our, our home base. Unite.Live is a great platform. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Jeff, you got anything in closing? I'm, 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 I'm inspired, boys. I am inspired. I've been, we all wanted better ways to live and you, this isn't hypothetical. It's so cool. You're doing this. And like you said, this is just the tip of the spear and like the whole function of this show, you know, Pat and I spent many years diagnosing certain problems. It's so freaking cool. And hopefully we're doing it a little part in this show, but you two boys are definitely being the change you wish to see. And I just definitely want to see more of it. And like I said, we're going to talk off air. This is, this is just the beginning, man. And I wish you obviously nothing but the best because this is, this is going to blow up, man. This is going to blow up as well as it should. Beautiful. All right. Well, for, for our prestige guest, Jim Gale, you know, what a visionary. It's been a blast talking to you. And for my co-host, Jeffrey Wilson, this is Pat Militich signing off. Awesome.